Hello, I'm Daryl Bloodworth of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Maitland, Florida. This is Lesson 4 of our study of the Gospel of John. And we'll begin with verses 1 through 21 of chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. And what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Those who believe in Him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God." In the last lesson, we read that Jesus performed many signs while he was in Jerusalem for the Passover, and as a result, many believed in him. Well, Jesus also apparently caught the eye of one of the leading citizens of Jerusalem at the time, a man named Nicodemus. We know that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin court, which was similar to a combination of our Congress and Supreme Court, with the high priest being somewhat similar to our president. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin court, and they came from a variety of the different sects in uh, Judaism. There were Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and perhaps others. It was the Sanhedrin court which conducts the Jewish trial of Jesus before he was taken to Pontius Pilate to be led to the cross. We also know that Nicodemus was a wealthy man perhaps one of the richest in Jerusalem. In the 19th chapter of John, we're told that following uh, Jesus' death, Nicodemus 
brought a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes, which only a rich man could have afforded to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Now, to understand why Nicodemus came to Jesus, we have to understand something about the Pharisees. There was much about the Pharisees that was admirable. Indeed, there were many Pharisees among the early Christian church. There were only about 6,000 Pharisees at any one time, so they were not particularly numerous in overall Jewish society. And given their mission in life, that's not surprising. The Pharisees took a pledge to observe every detail of the scribal law, sometimes referred to as the oral law. We're talking about much more than the Ten Commandments. The scribes had taken every element of the law and described in detail what it included. For example, one of the commandments was to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And on that day, no work must be done by a man, his servants, or his animals. In the Mishnah, which is the scribal law, no fewer than 24 chapters were devoted to what it meant to do no work on the Sabbath. In addition, the Talmud, which is the explanatory commentary on the Mishnah, runs to 64 more columns of information. Now, to give an example, they declared that to tie a knot on the Sabbath was work, and therefore forbidden, as was untying a knot. But then they had to define what is a knot. Well, any knot tied by a camel driver or a sailor was work, and therefore it was forbidden. On the other hand, any knot which could be untied with only one hand was not forbidden. Interestingly, a woman was permitted to tie a knot for a slit in her shift and in her girdle. So a man wanting to let down a bucket in a well for water on the Sabbath couldn't tie a knot with a rope to let the bucket down, but he could tie a knot in a woman's girdle to let it down because that was not uh, illegal. Can you imagine trying to live your entire life in harmony with all such regulations? It was exhausting, but the Pharisees did it out of devotion to the law. Note that in the Gospels, Jesus often criticized the Pharisees, but usually he criticized them because of what they did, not because of what they taught. What's surprising about this meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus is that Nicodemus wanted to meet with Jesus at all. But we do see from the first few verses of chapter 3 that Nicodemus saw something in Jesus that caused him to recognize that he was from God, or at least he was willing to entertain that possibility. As he indicated, otherwise Jesus could not perform the miracles he was performing. But Nicodemus was befuddled because Jesus' teaching was unlike any other rabbi teaching, as the Gospels frequently tell us. They tell us that Jesus taught with authority rather than just referring to others. Before we get to their conversation, though, note that this meeting occurs at night. John doesn't tell us why, but it appears that Nicodemus was not yet ready to be seen in public with Jesus. Similarly, Jesus was probably not ready to disclose publicly all he said to Nicodemus. Remember, it's still early in Jesus' ministry, and declaring himself the Son of God would likely have cut short his public ministry. 
Finally, Nicodemus was clearly earnest about trying to understand Jesus, and he may have wanted Jesus to himself while he was exploring what Jesus' teaching was all about. So he comes to Jesus and says, We know you are from God, or otherwise you couldn't perform these miracles. Jesus' response seems unconnected to Nicodemus' statement. He says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think what Jesus is saying is, don't get too caught up in the signs. What you need to do is change the inner man so much that it is like you are reborn as a new person. Nicodemus, on the other hand, takes this statement literally and asks if someone can actually enter the womb again. Well, this seems to me to be intentional obtuseness by Nicodemus. After all, the idea of being reborn was not unheard of in Judaic thought. It was just that being reborn only applied to proselytes. The proselytes were Gentiles who were in the process of converting to Judaism. Jesus is now saying that even good Jews, including Pharisees, also needed to be born again. Well, Nicodemus doesn't want to hear it, and therefore he asks an inane question. Can one enter the womb again? Jesus' response in verses 5 through 8 essentially repeats what he has said before. To enter the kingdom of God requires being reborn in a spiritual sense. Remember, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. The Pharisees believed that one entered the kingdom of God by observing every jot and tittle of the law. And that was largely a pursuit of the flesh doing these things through discipline and hard work. Jesus is telling Nicodemus he can't earn his way to heaven through fleshly pursuits, but must become a new person inwardly, one who is spiritually awakened through belief in the one from above, God's only Son. Jesus goes on to make a comparison between the wind and the Spirit. Essentially, he says, you don't know where the wind comes from, But you feel its effects, and you see the result of the wind blowing. You may not understand fully how the Spirit of God works, but like feeling the wind, you know when the Spirit of God is upon you, and you can see its effects on your life. Living like this would clearly be a major departure from the life of a Pharisee who has his extensive list of do's and don'ts by which he lived his life. So this would clearly not be easy for Nicodemus to accept. In fact, he still doesn't seem ready to accept what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus claims to be mystified. How can these things be? Jesus' response seems to be a bit of a put-down. Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? But rather than a put-down, I think Jesus is saying that it's essential that you and your Pharisee brothers understand this, So you will not lead Israel astray. In verses 11 through 14, Jesus follows up on this point. He says, He has testified to what he has seen and knows, but you, and here he uses the plural you to refer to all Pharisees and Sadducees, have not received our testimony. If you don't understand earthly things, such as the parables Jesus uh, taught, And he taught in parables to simplify and make his points. Well, he says, if you don't understand these earthly things, how can you believe heavenly things, which are more complicated? 
Then he proceeds on to tell Nicodemus more complicated spiritual things. The Son of Man, referring to himself, has descended from heaven. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And this statement that the Son of Man must be lifted up was a clear and well-known reference to crucifixion. So that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So here are the spiritual things that Jesus said Nicodemus must understand. Just as the Israelites looked on the serpent on a pole in faith that they would be healed, and they were, Jesus the Son of Man would be lifted up so that whoever believed in Him would be spiritually healed and have eternal life. What follows in verses 16 through 21 is a matter of some disagreement among biblical scholars. The issue is whether John is quoting what Jesus told Nicodemus in these verses or whether this is John whispering to us again and explaining what Jesus meant. Most versions of the Bible put these verses in quotes, signifying that it's Jesus speaking. I agree with it being a quote of Jesus, because the next verses amplify and complete the point that uh, he was making. Jesus has just said that he would be lifted up, which means crucified, so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus makes clear that it's God who gave his son up to death and that he did it out of love for mankind. God wants his sons and daughters to have eternal life, which comes only through Jesus. So Jesus came not to bring the judgment of God, but rather to bring salvation. Those who believe in him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are under condemnation already because they prefer darkness rather than light. In in these few verses, we have a succinct summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, these verses are the most quoted of all verses in the Bible. John doesn't provide us with a response by Nicodemus to what Jesus said to him. Nicodemus only appears twice more in Scripture, once in a debate within the Sanhedrin court and once following the death of Jesus. It's Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, who prepared Jesus' body for burial and placed him in the tomb from which Jesus would arise on the third day. And we find that in the 19th chapter of John. I prefer to think that Nicodemus did eventually become a believer, and eventually came to understand what Jesus told him when they met that night. Let's continue on now with uh, verses 22 through 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he spent some time there with them and baptized. John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salem, because water was abundant there, and people kept coming and were being baptized. John, of course, had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified here, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, No one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. 
You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. Well, in these verses, the Passover has just concluded. Jesus leads his disciples into the Judean countryside to continue to teach. And uh, his disciples and him also baptized new converts. The story then reverts to John the Baptist, who was also baptizing not too far from where Jesus was. And uh, John, again, whispers to us that all this takes place before the Baptist is in prison. What happened next is, is really very human. John's disciples are perplexed and disappointed that many of John's followers are leaving him and following Jesus, even as Andrew did. The Baptist once more reveals his humility by saying, I told you I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. John then tells his disciples a parable to explain vividly what his role was. He says Jesus is the bridegroom, and he, the Baptist, is the best man. The word for this in Judaism is shushben. The shushben was more than the best man at a modern wedding. He arranged the wedding, he sent out the invitations, and he presided at the wedding feast. His biggest role, though, was to guard the bride until the groom returned from the wedding feast to the bride. Now, this was not an unimportant role at a time when kidnapping a bride a bride for ransom was not unheard of. The shoshpin would wait outside the bridal chamber until the groom returned. The shoshpin would recognize the voice of the groom his best friend, and reunite the groom with his bride and then rejoice that his best friend had found the love of his life. In this parable, the bride is Israel, and John is telling his followers that his role has been to make preparations for the coming of the bridegroom, the Messiah, to his bride, Israel. And he rejoices in that role that he has now fulfilled. Therefore, he would decrease while Jesus would increase. Let's pick up now with verses 31 through 36. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted his testimony has certified this, that God is true. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has placed all things in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. Again, there's some disagreement among biblical scholars about whether these verses are part of what the Baptist said to his followers or whether the author John is again whispering to his readers. I tend to believe the latter, and the New Revised Standard Version does not put these verses in quotes. Note that what is said here is similar to what Jesus told Nicodemus earlier. 
The one of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks of earthly things, whereas the one from above speaks of what he has seen and heard in heaven. Yet his testimony has not been accepted by the Jews. But he speaks the truth and is loved by the Father. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who disobeys the Son will not see life. In short, this is a summing up of the gospel, what came before in this chapter. The next lesson, we'll cover chapter 4.